Uh, so welcome back, uh, 2023. Uh, the beginning of a new year is often latent with the potential that a new year brings and the excitement of all that may unfurl before us and beckoning us toward new horizons and new adventures that lay ahead for you and your family, new experiences, perhaps new people who will enter your life or, or join our faith community here, new mission opportunities that the Lord will open up to us to walk into, new revelations of his love and his grace. I mean, it's also a time where you know the volume knob of uncertainty is also turned all the way up. You know, undoubtedly there will be events or there will be moments or there will be situations that will uh, trigger turmoil and despair and uh, change within you and around you. And I want to begin our year together by reminding ourselves, me included, that both in the new things and in the things that will change, that both in the opportunity that lies before us and also the uncertainty that is ahead, in both the turmoil that will inevitably arise in our lives and the excitement that will also be there, in the things that seem really clear to us now and also the things that seem shrouded in a fog of uncertainty, that as we set sail into 2023, I want to remind you that God is here, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. You know, that's not just the Christmas message, that's the first Sunday back of the year message, that God hasn't gone anywhere, that he is still with us and he will go with us, that God is here, that his word in our lives remains true, that God's promises do not fail, that his good and perfect will is being worked out in your life and in our world, even when it doesn't appear to be so. I want to remind you that the death and resurrection of Jesus remains as powerful as ever, that the intervention of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives is something we need to learn to deal with as he convicts us, as he empowers us, as he leads us, and as he guides us. And I want to remind you that Jesus will return to this earthly address. I'm not sure when, I wish I knew. But we have hope that we look forward to the day when all things are made right and made new and the kingdom of God is fully here. So all that you walk into, there will be plenty. And all that you walk through, uh, because that's what we do, we walk through things in the power of the Spirit and all the things that we walk out of into this year and through this year, Jesus reigns as the enthroned king over all of it. It's a wild old ride, so hang on tight. And can I say, place your trust in none other than Jesus this year. Let me pray before we dive into the word. Emmanuel, Lord who is with us. Father, I pray that you would grant us the grace to receive your word this morning to be encouraged by it, to be challenged by it, to be moved by it, to be drawn closer to you by it. So Father, we thank you that you have spoken through your written word, that you are speaking through the word, the spirit right here and right now. 
And the Lord, you are going to do things in this moment that are going to set us in a direction and in a trajectory this year that is going to bring you honor and glory through our lives. And so, Father, be with us as we dive into your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm, I'm going to roll a few balls your way this morning. Some of them you might wish to just go whoopsie and let it go through. That's fine. Some of them you might want to grab and hold on to for a moment and go, no, that one's not for me. Others you might want to grab and go, I'm taking this one home. I'll leave that entirely up to the work of the Holy Spirit in the next hour and a half um, for you to work in with him. Uh, what is it that he is saying to you through the word this morning? Which one is it that he wants you to pick up this morning? Because in, in, invariably, if you try and pick up all of the balls, you're going to end up dropping all of the balls. Um, and so as they get rolled, just be discerning this morning in the spirit. What is it that God has for you to take from this moment that you can apply, that you can work through, that you can pray through, that you can implement, and all of the rest of it into your life? And so welcome to Summer Psalms. We are doing Summer Psalms. <clears throat> now, if I'm completely transparent with you, I am not entirely sure how long this series is going to go for. It's at least for the next three weeks, uh, but I, I have an inclination as I've been sitting uh, with some of these psalms that um, where, you know, traditionally we do kind of our vision stuff in February, um, I have an inkling that uh, the Lord is going to take us further and deeper into the psalms as he speaks to us um, about where he is leading us this year. So um, I'm not quite sure what happens in February just yet. Uh, I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? I don't think you are. You're like, no, tell us what's coming up. Uh, so the Psalms, they're an incredible collection of writings. Um, they're not just a book of nursery rhymes. As kids, we might just see them in that light. Uh, they are a raw, authentic, honest book of songs that capture the emotional spectrum of the entire human existence through the psalmist's life. In them are words of grief. There are words of anger and of rage. There are uh, words written that are uh, laced with fear and anxiety. Uh, there are words written um, of incredible joy that speak of the wondrous hope that we have in God. They are, there are words of uh, a lot of worship songs throughout the generations have been birthed out of the Psalms. You know, it's important to remember that the Psalms weren't written in an ivory tower in the ages gone by, nor were they written in a fancy corner office with a harbourside view, nor in a dingy lit, low lit library somewhere in the back of nowhere. You know, David wrote these Psalms quite often with sweat dripping from his brow as he ran from enemies as he quivered whilst hiding in caves from his murderers. He wrote them as shame raged within him as he grappled with the weight of these own mistakes in his life. And he also put pen to paper as a young shepherd boy as he sat under the star-filled skies looking up at the wonder of Creator God and all that he has done. He wrote these psalms as he walked among the people of God as a community, as a wandering people. In every up and down and every turn of community life, the psalms are a poetic tapestry of the human experience. 
of hope in despair, of a wondrous creator God who sees, who acts, and when he does, and he listens to the cries of his people, even when it feels like he's not or he's distant. I mean, some have described the Psalms as a prayer book for the people of God, which, if true, and I have no issue with that being our take on the Psalms, then the words of the Psalms are to become our words. Words not just for singing and reading, they are for giving expression to what is going inside of us in the face of everything we experience and go through in life. They are a permission-giving text giving us permission to lay out our questions and to lay out our doubts, to lay out our fears before the Lord, for us to even let go and express the inner rage within us, to give words of our own sense of guilt and shame as we recognise the sin within our own lives, giving us permission to put our unfiltered thoughts before the Lord, to bring to him incredible praise and celebration and joy before our Lord. You know, I love the humanity of David is so clear in the Psalms, that his vulnerability before God. And I believe that what we see in David is the blueprint for the authenticity. I believe that God is continuing to lead us as his followers into and us as a community, Jesus community, into here at Kingsway, that we would have an experience of an unfiltered, uncensored, unfluff and bubble. At times, we've got to be ready for this, the unhinged and undignified recognition of, on one hand, the grief and the despair and the hardship that we face as people. And on the other hand, the wonder and glory of the Father. I believe that's where we're headed. Both on one hand, being people who are resilient, courageous and bold enough on one hand to deal with the rubbish that is thrown our way in life. But so too, on the other hand, that we also hold an incredible love and desire and hunger and passion and thirst for the presence of Jesus and how he speaks to us in those places. And so the psalm we're opening with today is a a picture, I guess, of how this works. How we can both be joy-filled in the midst of grief. How we can find the presence of God in places that we wouldn't expect that we might. And so it seemed appropriate that we would open 2023 with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now before we dive in, there is some context here which is helpful to apply as we're reading what David writes here. Um, uh, This is known as the shepherd psalm and it was written by David later on while he was king but from the perspective or through the lens of when he was a shepherd boy. I mean, this psalm is David painting a picture of who God is and what he does from the perspective of God being his shepherd and David being a sheep in the flock of the true shepherd. And so as we come to this psalm, we glean from David's perspective and experience the truth of who God is and what he does For us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I 
shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, the promise and the character of God revealed in this psalm, in this song, is enough to keep me preaching for months. You know, in this psalm, we come to understand that God is our portion. In him, we have enough. Then this psalm, God makes us do things, and sometimes that's a little bit uncomfortable. But it's always for our healing and our restoration. God, he guides us, and he leads us, and he fills us, and he welcomes us, and he protects us, and he comforts us, and he welcomes us in. He anoints our head with oil. He fills us with the Spirit. This is a psalm of incredible breadth and magnitude that describes the wonder of who he is. You know, 2023, I feel, is going to be a year when we experience more of the fullness of God as we go. And I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but I'm confident this year that God will make you, that he will lead you, that he will guide you, that he will shape you, that he will comfort you, that he will be with you through everything you walk through, and he will anoint you afresh for the things that he has called you to this year. And Jesus says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And if that is the only ball you pick up with, pick up today, trust the voice of Jesus. He is the good shepherd. If that's all you carry home with you this morning, that's beautiful. I mean, it's an incredible picture that Psalm 23 paints, right? Green pastures, still waters. I mean, you can begin just in just those two uh, word pictures, start formulating a picture in your mind. The week before uh, Christmas, um, I went down to my mate's farm in the Kybian Valley with Muzz and Fozzer and a couple of guys, and the Kybian Valley is nestled between the Dangelong Ranges, just east of Cooma, and on the other side, kind of, not not just behind, but behind the escarpment of the far south coast of Cabago and Bermagui and the Bega Valley. And the Caribbean Valley is just uh, an incredibly spectacular part of the country. Rolling green hills, flanked on either side with snowy gums. There is um, pine forest littered throughout of it. And in the midst of it, there is the Caribbean River that etches its way through all of the valleys as it goes through the whole situation. And it is an overwhelming drive to get into the Caribbean Valley and experience the beauty and wonder of it. I mean, it's kind of the picture I have in mind of the Sunday school sheep and shepherd picture. 
Uh, you know the one that I'm talking about, the one where Jesus is in his freshly pressed robe, wearing his fresh Jerusalem cruises. That's the new word for the slides. You know, kids that wear slides these days? You can call them Jerusalem cruises or, or Hebrew Havianas. Uh, is the other one you can call him. The kids love it. <clears throat> and you see him standing in the pastures of the rolling hills of lush green grass as the sun gently rises over yonder, meadow upon meadow of perfectly groomed Sir Walter buffalo for the sheep to gorge themselves on. You know, in that picture, there's no threat at all to the sheep. It is peace and calm everywhere. Perfect blooms of Mediterranean wildflowers punctuating the landscape, an idyllic gin-clear stream meandering its way blissfully through the fields, the trickling water giving a backing track to the morning bird song. I mean, here it is if you haven't seen uh, the picture. Beautiful, isn't it? I mean, we could just sit here all day appreciating how perfect this scenario is and how relatable that is to our actual lives. I mean, so many parallels in the peacefulness and the calmness of it all. I mean, this is pretty much my life in a picture. (laughs) There are no threats. There are no dark valleys. No technology, no traffic, no offices, no schools or sport fields or shops or banks. Certainly no children, no noise. Hakuna freaking Matata (laughs) means no worries, mate. I mean, I don't know about you, but I came into this year full of hope that this year wouldn't be as quite off the Richter crazy as last year. I think I had some version of that picture in my mind of what this year would or could potentially look like a year not of busyness and chaos, but one of relaxing into the green pastures and sitting by those gin-clear streams, catching trout all year long, spaciousness and unfiltered beauty everywhere I looked. I mean, it started out pretty good, right? We had a great holiday down the south coast, fishing, surfing, water skiing, reading, napping, eating, a little bit more reading, a little bit more eating, a little bit more napping, land flowing with milk and honey kind of stuff. It would be like if I could paint our holiday as a south coast picture, it would look like this, just, just beautiful, except for a couple of rainy days, but you do jigsaws and you read books on those ones. Either way, it's still a spectacular time. We were off to a flying start. Thought, how good is this? 2023, we're coming at you. We got home from holidays on Thursday evening and I started unloading the car and we took two cars and at least stopped in Kiama to have dinner with um, Avril on the way back through. So I had the, um, the four darlings, cherubs, who weren't tired at all from two weeks of hanging with their cousins and staying up way too late. We started unloading the car and I walked around to the, the back of our house to start dropping off some fishing rods and uh, surfboards and and whatnot, and um, something caught the corner of my eye, and I looked at the thing that caught the corner of my eye, and there was a, a, a big beam of 
of timber um, that was on our back lounge on our deck. And I thought, that piece of timber was not there when we went on holidays. And it didn't take too long for my eyes to be drawn upwards uh, to find this. The pergola over our deck, hanging precariously, having snapped off the house in the rain and the wind while we were there. I mean, I could literally hear the roof sheets cracking and creaking under the weight and the tension of the, the roof sheets as they are the thing that was literally those pl plastic roof sheets holding the whole thing together at the point where it would literally be the next puff of wind or rain and shower that would bring this entire thing down onto our deck or potentially our kids. And so... It was spring into action mode. It was, what are we going to do? I texted Elise, we have a situation. <laughs> She's, what, what, you don't have keys? I text back, worse. <laughs> Sent her a photo, <clears throat> rings me, you have to ring the insurance now. So tried to ring insurance, but insurance is only open till five o'clock. And we'd got there at 10 to five and seen it. So that by the time I could do that, it was gone too late. Then I thought, if this doesn't get dealt with right away, then one of the kids will surely die. Um, and so I need to um, start ringing around. And so I started ringing around. Does anyone have any of those acro props that you can stick up? And uh, Kane had two at his house that he had to pull out of his house that I could go and put at my house. And so I put the kids to bed so they wouldn't see their dad die. And once they were in bed, I went out there and I put them up and, um, and got it all, all sorted. And I kind of... Yeah, had a bit of a hack job, but we got there nonetheless. But in a flash, we went from the full-on chillaxed mode, right? This picture of the meandering through wonderful green luscious fields and streams of gold and sheeps lambing, barring, all of the things. And it was all of a sudden we were back to the roar and thunder of life proper. And that night, Elise and I looked at each other and said, hey, what a great start. <laughs> I mean, I found us saying with greater and greater regularity, if it's not one thing, it's another. I mean, you know, sometimes it can be hard to reconcile the words of Scripture with the reality of the lives that we lead. I mean, I can tell you now, there hasn't been much utopian dream of laying down in green pastures or sitting beside still waters in the last three days since coming home from holidays. Not sure if it's just me, but life seldom looks like this. I mean, would you agree? I mean, it'd be great. It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? But in my experience, life can often look a whole lot more like this. You're like, that's really uplifting, Dave. You thought I was going to preach a rally of the troops, conquer the hill, hold on to your hat, inspire you until your boots fall off message into 2023, and here I am taking you to the desert. Yes, friends, we are going to the desert. 2023, the year of the desert. Are you inspired? Invite your friends. <laughs> We're going to the desert. I mean, I want to suggest to you that there has been no greater injustice 
to the truth that Psalm 23 speaks of as God our shepherd than the misconstrued picture of the rolling green hills of shepherd and sheep perfection that we were given as kids in Sunday school. Now, before you chase me out of the building, for, I'm not going to look you in the eyes, <laughs> for ruining your entire Sunday school picture of Jesus, bear with me. I think you'll thank me later. So I want to take you on a journey into biblical shepherding territory. But we're going to go to the screens for it. I told you you'd thank me later. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, you'll never read Psalm 23 in the same way ever again. I mean, this is what David wants us to catch in Psalm 23, that we have a shepherd in the Lord who provides for us just what we need, one mouthful at a time. A shepherd who leads us and makes us and who restores us and who guides us and who protects us and who comforts us and fills us and anoints us and follows us and welcomes us, not when life is perfect. Not when it's all unicorns and rainbows, champagne and butterflies. Not when we feel like we're walking in the fields of gold, but when we are in the desert. In the moments that seem dry, in the seasons that feel desolate, in the dark nights and the deathly valleys of the soul, when the kids get sick, when the money gets tight, when a loved one is in hospital, when the anxiety weighs heavily, when the answer isn't clear, even when the deck roof (laughs) falls off your deck, he, the good shepherd, is right there. I mean, there's something cool about the desert from a biblical view also. I mean, the Hebrew word for desert is midbar. And it is spelled exactly the same way as the Hebrew word for speak, which is medabir. Let's, it's in an image. We'll chuck it up there, rock number four. Midbar, medabir. Exactly the same word in the Hebrew. Desert means speak. Desert, speak. I mean, the desert is where God speaks. The desert is where God spoke to Abraham. The desert is where God spoke to Moses. It is where he spoke to David. It is where he spoke to John the Baptist, who was a voice in the wilderness calling out the one who was to come. It is where the Holy Spirit sent Jesus before he commenced his public ministry so he could speak to him. I mean, it gets more fascinating than that. The root word from which Midbar, desert, is derived is Devar or Devir, which throughout the Bible, get this, is one of the words used to describe the holy of holies, the place in the temple where God dwelt the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the place where the high priest could enter only once a year, God is found to be the true shepherd in the places we least expect. And my goodness, that is good news for people like me. I don't know about you, but for me, that Jesus proving to be the true shepherd when all seems lost, when all seems hard, when all seems frustrating, when all seems going down the gurgler in the desert 
In the desert is where he speaks. In the desert is where he speaks. And where he speaks is where he dwells. You know, I often relate a wilderness or desert experience to being a season that is negative or bad. If you've ever been on like a Christian retreat, you know, you'll get some, oh, I'm just I'm such through a wilderness experience right now. And everyone's like, oh, let's pray for you. Like, oh, I feel a little bit ashamed of our, oh, I'm just, I'm in a bit of a desert. Don't, don't judge me. But the midbar, the desert, is the place intimately connected to the place where God speaks and where God dwells. <clears throat> Maybe we need to stop asking God, when can we get out of the desert? And instead ask, what can we get out of the desert? I mean, that's a different take. I mean, if you think about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the guys were thrown in the fiery furnace. You know, and there, Nebuchadnezzar, he turns it right up, right up high, turns the temperature right up. And he walks away thinking that he'd dealt with his God-fearing guys. <clears throat> he comes back half an hour to see how it's all going and he, he looks around and he says, Didn't, I'm sure we only put three guys in there, why is there four? I mean, did I get it wrong? Do we, do we add a bonus that we weren't expecting? No, that was God. <laughs> that, that, was, that was God right there in the middle of the fire. You know, sometimes we think that God is going to be the one that's going to see us in the fire and we start praying, God, take me out of the fire. And what God does is he opens the door and he gets in, he stands right there with us and says, how about it, boys? These guys have got nothing. I mean, in the middle of the fire is where he would, he would bring in his picnic basket and he would prepare the meal in the presence of the enemies and they would sit there in the fiery blazing furnace noshing down on their bread and their juice and their grapes and their olives and their salamis and all of the delicious food that they would have had. Going, come get me. You know, sometimes God needs to deliver us in things before he delivers us out of things. And so the question is not when can we get out of the fire or when can we get out of the desert, but what can we get out of the desert? I mean, how incredibly freeing is it to know that the voice of God is not limited in our lives to when everything is calm and in its place. The voice of the shepherd is beckoning you, uh, himself to you right here and right now. So I'm not sure what deserts you'll face this year or that together we'll face as a community. I mean, perhaps it will be the grieving the loss of a loved one or an unexpected change in a work situation or a loss of income, pressures in your business, uh, a, a spiraling of your mental health, maybe family conflict, maybe letting go of old ways of being or thinking or believing that aren't serving you well anymore. Maybe it's as trivial as the roof falling off your deck. I don't know. But what I do know is that the Lord is our shepherd and he speaks to us on the holy ground of hardship. And he will lead you to what you need next. One mouthful at a time. 
He will show you the very next place to land your foot and the right path to travel down. So I guess the question I have for you is which shepherd are you listening to coming into this year? I mean, there are many. I mean, from where are you taking your cues? Whose directives hold the most weight in your life? Is what you read in your news feed your guiding voice? Is it the comments section of your controversial friend on Facebook? Is it what you see in your social media feeds the primary source of your discipleship? Is it the voice of popular opinion that's feeding you? Or is it the voice of the good shepherd? I mean, perhaps if I could sit down and have a one-on-one coffee with each of you right now, here are a couple of other questions I would ask. And if you want to write these questions down and process them in your own time, feel free. Where are you expecting to hear God speak to you this year? When it's all calm or in the chaos too? When you feel on fire for him or when you feel alone and distant as well? Are you okay to receive from him only what you need for today? Are you okay with the insecurity of placing your faith in a God who doesn't give it to you all at once? That's hard. I don't know if I can do that very well, if I'm completely honest with you. Am I okay to follow him just for the next mouthful without giving me the whole pasture? Are you familiar with his voice to recognise when he says, hey, go left up here. Hey, take a gentle right just down here. Hey, let's, let's stop here for a little while. Hey, let's, come on, we're going to move on. Let's mount up. We're on our way now. You know, I sense that God is shepherding his church to a deeper revelation and renewed call to daily dependence on him and him alone. So look out for that this year. I mean, the fragility of the systems of the world are such that they are not able to provide your soul with the nourishment, sustenance, and ongoing transformation that you were designed and created by God for. Your journey toward Christ's likeness cannot be bolstered by any other person, any other entity, organization, insta-famous or celebrity pastor, and certainly not me, only by Christ himself, the Good Shepherd. So when the Israelites were wandering 40 years in the desert, their source of food was rather strange. And six days a week in the evening, the Lord would make quails just enter into the camp and there was the instant barbecue on the ground and they just needed to pick it up and cook and eat, drink and be merry. And in the next morning, as the sun rose and melted the dew, there was a, a bread on the ground. And God gave them instruction not to leave any left over for the next day Because tomorrow he would make it all fresh over again. There'd be more quails the next evening. There'd be more bread the next morning. Except on the sixth day, where he would give them double of everything so they didn't have to collect or he didn't need to work on the day of rest. Most of them got the gist of it, gathering just what they needed for the day, no more, no less, just what the Lord provided for them. Some, however, perhaps they were the doomsday preppers, started eating most of it, but keeping some of it, just in case. And when I read this story of the Israelites 
sometimes I think, what gooses? Why would they do that when there's going to be fresh baked bread in the morning? I mean, there's nothing better than it, right? The smell of fresh bread. I mean, why would I try and keep yesterday's leftovers when I know there's a fresh meal coming? I think, why would they do that? And then before I get any further down that rabbit warren, I get confronted with my own fear that God won't provide and that he isn't as good as what he says he is. And all of a sudden, I find myself like them, strategizing for my own provision. I find myself taking matters into my own hands. I become like a sheep in the wilderness, walking away from the shepherd and the flock, looking for greener pastures, often to find a poorer feed or bread that has gone mouldy. Now, there is a transformational work the Lord is doing among us to address the fear and doubt around his daily provision. He has an abundant meal ready each day that we must learn to come to him for, to listen to his call to eat, to follow his voice as he leads us through the wilderness, to listen for his guidance on which path to take down the mountain, a deepened dependence that confronts our fear and doubt, and I think we need to be praying for each other in the midst of that because it's not easy work. To have our own fears and doubts confronted gently and humbly and compassionately by the Lord as he leads us to a place of greater dependence on him. Can we be a church that prays for each other in that journey this year? The second thing I would like to leave us with is do not despise familiar ground. There is life in the ancient paths. I mean, I just love that image of all of those well-worn tracks in the mountainside, in the Judean wilderness, that for hundreds or thousands of years that shepherds have walked and that sheep have followed as they have traversed their way through the wilderness, not straight down and straight up, but just in this incredibly circular, slow, rhythmic somewhat repeating situation. Jeremiah 6, 16 says this, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. I mean, I don't know about you, but often I get to the place and I say, God, we're back here again, God. I thought we were through this bit. I thought we'd crossed this river. I thought we'd climbed this hill. I thought we'd defeated that giant. I thought we'd bowled over that enemy. But here we are again. Like a sheep doing circle work around the wilderness mountain, facing the same temptations, the same battles, returning to the same offences, the same worries, the same wounds. And so often I think we want to take the quick way, take the convenient way, hack the process to make this whole journey of faith easier. Now I've seen sheep run on flat ground and go tail over teat. And I can imagine a sheep going pedal to the metal down one of those mountainsides in the Judean wilderness. And I can tell you now in my mind's eye, it ain't pretty. It would be tomorrow's roast for sure, pre-tenderized. 
Often we want to take the direct route down the hill, but the Lord walks us in circles, often on familiar paths. I mean, Daz preached earlier, uh, later last year in December, an amazing word on the work of grace in our lives, how God leads us in circles of experiencing an adversity of whatever it might be. And then through an awareness process, then through an acceptance process, where we land in a place of awe. And that doesn't happen just in one circle, but this concentric circle where they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And by grace, we get back to the same place, but we have grown, we have matured. Our hearts are filled with greater courage to move forward from that place again. I mean, we are culturally conditioned for things to happen quick. I mean, we can click to skip ads. We can order our food home delivered within just a few minutes, the click of a few buttons. We can pre-order our coffee and literally stick our arm out the door and grab it. We get our daily verse delivered to our home screen each day. I even found a button the other day that allows you to listen to podcasts in 1.25, 1.5 or two times the speed of what's normal. I mean, we are conditioned for things to happen quick. But I believe this is a year of returning to patiently waiting on the Lord and asking to be returned to the ancient paths. Following in the foundational tracks carved into the hillside of our inherited faith. Following in the footsteps of the men and women of faith who have trusted the Lord before us to lead them that we too may find our way through the desert led and fed by the good shepherd. Look, ask for the ancient paths. Don't stand on the hillside thinking, God, when are you going to get me out of the desert? Stand on that hillside and say, what can I get out of the desert? And show me the ancient paths. Show me the way to walk. We're going to finish with communion because he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 138 verse 7 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble. Does that sound familiar? He's written a similar, a little bit of copy-paste I think David does in the Psalms every now and again. Control C, control V. He's thinking 138, surely they've forgotten what was in 23. A little bit of, Though I walk in the midst of trouble. You preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The communion is where we gather around the table to celebrate the greatest provision that the shepherd has ever given. The deliverance of our lives from the grips of sin through the person of his son Jesus who willingly surrendered offering his life in place of ours. I mean, we, we, we get the privilege and the grace afforded to us this morning to come and drink of the cup to remember the blood he shed for us and to eat the bread to remember the body that he broke on our behalf. I mean, this, this is a meal of love, a fully sufficient feast of grace in which we are invited to eat. Powerfully so, as our enemies look on. And there ain't jack diddly squat they can do about it. They cannot steal the freedom on this table. Our enemies cannot steal the healing that is here. Our enemies cannot laugh us off the planet anymore.
because of the victory of the broken body of Jesus on the cross for you and I. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. And we eat knowing full well the victory we have in Christ. However, sometimes we come to communion and we hear the voice of the accuser and of the liar and of the thief who would try and join us at the table. You shouldn't be eating that. Are you sure you are you sure you want to drink drink that? Telling us that we're unworthy because of A, B, C, or D or X, Y, Z or E. Telling us we're unworthy and unacceptable. I mean, I've been there. I mean, sometimes I still stand there when communion is happening. And I I can hear the chirp. Ah, are you, are you sure? You sure you're right to take that? I want to remind you that he doesn't have a seat here. That the accuser and the liar and the thief who comes to seek to kill and destroy, he doesn't have a seat at this table. I mean, we could all pull up our seats here and we don't have to leave one for anybody else because he's not here. This is not his realm. He has been defeated, he has been overthrown, and there is nothing that he can do to take away the love of Jesus through what he has done on the cross for you and I, and we celebrate that this morning. He prepares a table in the presence of our enemy. The enemy lost his right to be at this table. He gave it up, sucked in. So I want to invite you to come to the Father, to come to the Good Shepherd this morning who, who makes you anew, who restores you, to come to the Good Shepherd this morning who leads you to the very next thing that you need, to come to the Good Shepherd who, in, in spite of the difficulty and the hardship, will use his, his rod and his staff to bring comfort to you. And to come to the good shepherd who anoints your head with oil, who pours out in fullness the Spirit of God upon your life, who gives you not just enough for you, but gives you enough that it would overflow into the lives of others. I mean, come to the good shepherd this morning who is the host of heaven and he invites you into his dwelling place. Come to the table that he has prepared in the, in the face of our enemies. Come and eat of his goodness and of his mercy. Now, get the guys at the back to uh, chuck a song on <clears throat> and we're going to finish our service here around the communion table. And if you... Uh, would like to receive some prayer this morning for the ball that you're holding, you know, the one you picked up and you're like, oh man, that's the one God wants me to take home and deal with. Uh, Perhaps this morning you want someone to pray with you. Um, Grab someone and take communion with them and pray into what the Lord is saying to you this morning. You know, if you are uh, feeling like you are alone in the wilderness and you're not sure where the shepherd is, grab someone and say, hey, can you just sit with me and pray this morning? I just need to hear the voice of the shepherd. And I've got faith to believe that as we share in those moments of togetherness and vulnerability of going, hey, can you pray for me? That the good shepherd will speak and he will lead and he will guide. 
And if you just want to take communion on your own and, and sit in the presence of the Lord this morning, uh, come and take some bread and juice and go and sit back in a seat. Uh, but we will finish our service here until you hear the coffee machine going. Um, and uh, so don't leave if the Lord is doing something within you this morning. Um, and so I invite you, come forward, come and eat from the table of love and of grace and of mercy. You are welcome here at the table of the Lord, prepared as our enemies look on. We get to enjoy it. In Jesus' name, amen.